0: Hello everybody, I am back, back for another installment of It's About Time, a DC Sports podcast. Uh, I am recording, this is Nate by the way, recording March 5th, 2019. Uh, It's almost 9 o'clock at night, so you guys will be listening to this most likely after March 5th. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Today we're going to cover, or I should say tonight we're going to cover, I'm going to kind of go back over Bryce Harper just a little bit, not going to rehash anything that I discussed on the emergency podcast last Thursday, but kind of give. Now that there's been a few days, uh, he's spoken. He had his press conference. <clears throat> Boris has kind of put out his spin machine to uh, make the deal look as good as possible. Uh, I've got a few more thoughts on that. I, I'm not. It's not gonna. I'm hoping it doesn't dominate the podcast. I got to be honest. I uh, I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to try to pare them down to something. I don't want to bore you guys if I if I don't have to. I also don't want to come off as somebody with sour grapes. So we'll talk about Bryce. Then we'll uh, pretty much complete our breakdown of the Nationals roster going into the Nats relievers. Good week to do it because there is there are rumors that the Nats may be interested in Craig Kimbrell. So we'll talk about Craig Kimbrell. We'll talk about if he fits into the Nats bullpen. If so, where. What it means for the rest of the bullpen. i we'll also break down some of the arms. Not all of them. There are a lot of arms. I mean, the bullpen is probably the biggest uh, portion of a, especially a National League ball club. But we'll break it down. We'll talk about the main names that you guys know. Maybe a couple that you don't. And we'll see uh, see how that shakes out for the Nats. See how we feel about that. And then we'll close out with the Redskins. A couple big stories this week for the Redskins. Uh, the thought of potentially trading for Josh Rosen from Arizona. He was the number 10 overall pick last year. Do you trade for him? If you do, how much compensation do you give Arizona? Is it the right move? Where should the Redskins go a quarterback this year, next year, or the year after? Then the other thing that's been floated is that the Skins are one of a few teams that are interested in Antonio Brown. Is it a move that a smart front office would make? Or is it a move that Dan Snyder would make? We'll talk about that, and then Josh wanted me to throw in. He, he couldn't join us again, but he wanted me to throw in uh, Tyree Jackson, quarterback from the University of Buffalo. He was the big name quarterback-wise at the combine because he was just blowing people up. So we'll talk a little bit about him. We'll dig in a little bit to his stats, his physical uh, physical stats. That's six foot seven. Runs a lightning-fast 40 for a quarterback. He's a physical specimen. So we'll talk a little bit about Tyree Jackson at the end as well. So we'll go Nats, Nats, Skins, and then we'll close it out. I thank you guys for joining us. As always, we are affiliated with the DMVSportsNetwork.com. That's the DMVSportsNetwork.com. Give them a a follow on Twitter at DMV underscore SN. Up-and-coming D.C. sports website. Great D.C. content. They've got a great Nats podcast, Half Street High Heat give them a, a follow give them a listen uh great podcasts all around for really any topic that you're looking for but also a lot of great written content um they've got press credentials to local universities give them a follow i think you're going to be hearing a lot about the DMV sports network down the road also follow us on twitter it's about time dc1 that's its about time dc1 let us know what you think about the podcast some of you did comment made very nice comments about my Bryce Harper podcast I figured that that would be one that a lot of people would want to listen to because he's just such a polarizing figure, and we've been talking about him. Uh, Josh hates him. I really liked him with the Nats. I loved him as a nat. Uh My opinion is starting to change just a little bit. I, I don't again don't want it to sound like sour grapes, but uh, yeah, give us a follow, subscribe to our podcast, rate us, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we're always really grateful for those of you that listen is a lot of fun doing week in and week out, and I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am, and hopefully we can get Josh back in the fold soon. Let me take a quick uh, sip of water here. Alrighty, let's talk about, this is the Bryce Harper Revisited. It's been about five days or so since the news broke that Bryce is going to be signing with Philadelphia. I will say the first thing that comes to my mind is that the Scott Boris spin machine is working overtime? All offseason, the learner's deal offered to Bryce Harper ten years, three hundred million, no opt outs. That's how it was pitched. It was leaked most likely by Boris's camp. It was it it did the Harper camp a huge favor. It set a baseline for them. Ten years, three hundred million. That's all we heard. And it benefited Bryce Harper. Now, he has to sign a deal that on paper, or at least on its face, looks worse than 10 for 300. Because 10 for 300 is $30 million a year. The deal he signed is for about 25.4. So, Boris has to spin it to make him look like the super agent. Make it look like Bryce made the right decision by turning down the Nats. And basically they come out, and, they, and, and this is all from Boris's side. He starts leaking. The Nats deal had so much deferred money, it actually made the Major League Baseball uncomfortable. Bryce wasn't going to get the full amount of money until he was 60. Um, $100 million deferred. The real-time present value wasn't $300 million. It was somewhere like $184 million. That's Scott Boris talking. The learners, and Mike Rizzo won't comment, but here's what we know. The Nationals are known for deferred contracts. Max Scherzer has a deferred contract, most notably Scott. Or Scott, excuse me, Patrick Corbin has deferred money in his contract. But Max Scherzer's contract is paid in full seven years after he's done playing for the Nats. It's not until he's 60. And Max Scherzer signed a seven-year, $210 million deal, $30 million a year. The idea that the Nats would make an offer with a hundred million dollars deferred, I find that a little bit hard to believe. I think that it's it's being sensationalized by Boris because he knows that the Nats won't comment on it. He's trying to make Bryce look as good as possible. I think it's an I think it's a bad thing for Bryce Harper to leave the Nats in this way, where he's trying to smear the the team he just came from. Made him an offer in good faith. People are coming out and saying, Oh, the Nats weren't negotiating good faith. I was the first person to say in October that the deal that the Nats made, 10 for three, or whenever it came out, December, that the deal that the Nats made him, 10 for 300, wasn't legitimate because it had no opt outs. I was wrong because he signed a deal without opt outs. Now, at the time, it was probably a deal they knew he wouldn't sign because he was looking for opt outs. But on its face, you look at the deal that Manny Machado got, it was a good deal for that probably a bit of an overpay for Bryce Harper, considering the fact he got twenty five point four million a year, heavily front loaded, and the Nats did ten for three hundred. Now let's talk about something else. They're playing the blame game. There's a there are camps that are saying, well, the learners are to blame. The Nationals were never really serious about re signing him. Blah, 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 blah. The Nats made an offer. They made an offer that they thought was legitimate. Bryce's camp, Scott Boris and Bryce, they never countered the offer. They just declined it. They never negotiated with the Nats when they had the opportunity to only negotiate with the Nats. Boris, that close to free agency, wanted Bryce to see free agency. That's what they got. The Nats moved on. They never circled back to Bryce. They said we're gonna they had time because they didn't sign Patrick Corbett until December, but they never circled back. They made other plans. They went, we're going to go get Kurt Suzuki, we're going to go get Patrick Corbin, we're going to sign Brian Dozier, we're going to get better everywhere else, we're fine in the outfield. To blame the Nats, who spent more money than just about any other team in baseball this offseason, whose payroll is going to be over just a tick over $200 million. to blame the learners in the Nats for not spending money is ludicrous. In the blame game that's being played, Bryce might have sour grapes because it wasn't as fun of a free agent period as he was hoping for that he'd been dreaming of since he was 16 years old. That's not on the Nats. The Nats put a value on him. To be honest, it was probably a bit of an overvalue. And he turned it down. And then he couldn't get an offer close to it until the very end when he was able to eliminate opt-outs and get the 13 for 330. There's no sense playing the blame game. There's just none. If you're a Nats fan, I don't think you can blame the learners. I don't think you can blame Mike Rizzo. They made an offer. They said, okay, we got to move on, and they made their team better. Had they made an offer and then not circled back and then not spent any other money, then maybe you've got a gripe. Other than that, the Nats are going to put a team on the field this year that is one of the favorites to win the National League East, has one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball, if not the best starting rotation in all of baseball. They're going to be competitive in every game they're in. And they could probably say the same thing next year, especially if they bring Anthony Rendon back. And this this move will be the blow will be lessened if they do extend Rendon, because losing Harper and Rendon in back-to-back seasons would be a, a very tough pill to swallow. Be a tough pill to swallow for me. I love Anthony Rendon. I think I've made that clear over and over again. Let's talk about Bryce Harper and how he's handled this. We finally get to hear him speak. He. Uh, Before he even was in his press conference, some social media interaction was leaked or or was posted. He was communicating with Le'Veon Bell, I guess, through social media. Called Philadelphia the greatest city on earth. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying D.C. is the greatest city on earth, but Philadelphia is not the greatest city on earth either. Uh, He slipped during his press conference, said he wanted to bring a title back to D.C. I thought it was fake at the time. I saw a video. He said it. But then he immediately corrected himself and said he wants to roll down Broad Street with a title in his hands. During a radio interview interview today, he said Philly is like a big neighborhood. Uh, You know, Everybody takes care of each other. It's like one big community. How much time has he actually spent in Philadelphia? He said his kids will be able to say they're from Philly. And he's going to go out and he's going to recruit players. If you don't think that he's going to reach out in 2020 to Mike Trout and get him to come to Philadelphia, you're crazy. All i got to say is the dude is coming off like he's full of shit. I'm sorry, it's not sour grapes, but he's coming off like he's full of shit. Because if you remember, back in September, he almost was on the verge of tears with how much he loved D.C. And how how special it was to him. And now he's pretty much the same narrative, different town. Now, I'm not saying he should be pining over D.C., But a lot of this is very similar to the shit that he said when he was here in D.C. And he just is coming off as this robot, cliche-filled. It's really off-putting. Really, really off-putting. And I got to tell you, I made a bet with Josh. I made a bet with Josh on Friday. I said in the Sunday version of the Washington Post, Bryce will probably take out a one-page, full full-page advertisement thanking the organization and thanking the fans for seven great years. It's pretty much the, the move now. Paul Goldschmidt did it when he left it when he was traded from Arizona. That's the most recent example I can think of. Justin Verlander did it when he was traded from Detroit to Houston. He didn't do it. And I, listen, it's a minor thing. But it really shows he, he doesn't have the right people around him going, hey, man, this would be it's a good PR move. You should do this. You should just do this. And then John Feinstein wrote an article today, and I, I really don't like John Feinstein, but I read it, and he's saying Bryce Harper deserves a standing ovation. And the Nats fans, the Nats should have a pregame package, a video package thanking him. I agree with that portion. The Nats should celebrate the time he spent here. And if the, if the Nats fans on April 2nd, when he steps into the box, in the top most likely the top of the first inning, want to give him, him an ovation, I think he's earned it. But if there are fans, I said this during the podcast on Thursday, if there are fans that want to boo or want to sit on their hands, they're entitled to. Again, sports are emotional. We're emotional people. Sports is an escape from reality. We get emotionally invested. If I'm at the game April 2nd and I think I have tickets, I gotta check my season ticket package. I'll stand, I'll clap, and then his every at bat from then on out. I'm not gonna boo him, but I'm certainly not gonna cheer him. I uh just he's really though I gotta stop listening to him speak because I guess I guess I was blinded by it while he was in DC, but he really just comes off like he's full of shit. And uh, you know, hey man, you know, again, best of luck to him in Philadelphia. Well, not best of luck, but I, I wish him Happiness, I wish him health, and I hope the Nats beat them 19 times a year. Going to the Nats, the spring training narrative, there are certain people that are insinuating that no one in the Nats organization is really that upset that Bryce is gone. That they're wishing him well, they say his contract's great for baseball, but they're not really saying, man, it's going to be a big hole in our clubhouse. We're going to miss a big bat in the middle of the lineup. You don't really hear that. And it's interesting to me. I mean, the, the, I'm sure the players are I'm sure the players are choosing their words very carefully. Mike Rizzo has chosen his words very carefully. He said if I when I see him next time, I'll give him a high five and then I'm going to want to beat him every time we see him. They're choosing their words very carefully, but it doesn't sound like they're like, "Man, we just missed out on him." It does they really sound like an organization that's moved on. And You know, Davey Martinez this morning was on the radio and he said, you know, Max is going to go right at him. You think that Max could, think I could go up to Max and tell him to walk Bryce? You know, they just, they seem lighthearted about it. And it's very, very interesting to me. I find it very telling. And there are people that are also saying that the locker room seems better. It seems like a lighter atmosphere. People are being held more accountable. My final point on the Bryce thing, I've gone on for almost 16 minutes about it. It's too early to tell what impact Bryce's exit from Washington, Bryce's um, entrance into Philadelphia, it's too early to tell what it's going to do for each franchise, what it's going to do for Bryce. Bryce is one of the most boomer bust players I think I've ever seen in Major League Baseball. He's capable, much like in 2015, of being an MVP. But he's also capable, which he's done several times in the last four years, of being a slightly above average player. Which player is Philadelphia going to get? Is it, it is a bit of Jekyll and Hyde. So it's too early to tell. If they get this year the 2015 version of Bryce Harper, they could be a World Series contender. If they get the 2018 version of Bryce Harper, they may be an NL East contender, but He's He wasn't special last year. He was special in 2017 before slipping on the bag and hurting his leg. 2016, he there were rumors that he was hurt all year. He's really only been special in 2012, his rookie season at the age of 19, in 2015 when he won the MVP, and then for the first two-thirds of the season in 2017 before he got hurt. So again, Jekyll and Hyde with Bryce. Too early to tell what it's going to mean and with the Nationals. If the Nationals have what they think they have in Juan Soto and Victor Robles, they're not really going to miss Bryce. Juan Soto is going to be Bryce. And Victor Robles, if he develops into a power hitter, he, their outfield is going to produce plenty of runs. They still have Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, Carter Keyboom in the minors. They're doing fine offensively. So it's too early to tell I'm not making any predictions one way or the other. Again, he's one of the most fascinating players to watch because he's boom or bust. He provided us with some very exciting moments and he also provided us with some very frustrating moments. But for Bryce, you know, again, I wish him well. I don't wish the Phillies well. But I wanted to leave it with this last thing. There was a tweet by, uh, it's actually a uh, writer, a political writer for a website called The Bulwark, but I saw it, his name's Jonathan Last, and he tweeted this out, so I, gotta, I have to read it because I found it, A, to me it was spot on. He said, Bryce Harper to Philadelphia is the worst, worst match of an athlete to a city as I've ever seen in professional sports. Harper is a touchy guy who's always fussing with his hair, sometimes doesn't hustle, and is going to be the most overcompensated player in the history of baseball. He is habituated to playing in a town where the fan base is a bunch of tame to the point of worship and eager to alibi every athlete and coach no matter what, and always, always seeing the glass as one-eighth full rather than nearly empty. Philly is not that. They will grow to resent him, and he will 100% resent them. There's almost no way this marriage can turn out well, I don't know which party thought this was a good idea, but he should have gone to New York or L.A. where guys like him belong. Philly is a town for Brian Dawkins and Charles Barkley, John Kruk and Chase Utley, and Nick Foles. You know who would have fit perfectly come 2021? Mike Trout. Instead, Philly's getting saddled with the biggest contract in the history of baseball, a deal that will keep paying Harper until he's 39. For a guy who hit two hundred forty nine last year with a war of 1.3, even his OPS was only 16th in the league. one point that he brings up that I hadn't really thought about, but it is true, is that Bryce is a can be a bit of a head case. Infamously, Joe Madden walked him a million times in a four-game weekend series against the Cubs, and Bryce didn't recover for almost a month after that. If Bryce starts off slow in Philadelphia this year, and it's more than not more than likely, but there's a better chance of it because he joined camp so late. If he starts off slow and they start riding him, I don't know if he recovers this year. I don't know if he does. I don't know if he's got the intestinal fortitude to do it. And I think that's the point that he's making, is that in order to play in an environment like Philadelphia, and I would throw Boston into that too, you have to have... You just have to have really, really thick, thick skin, and I don't think Bryce has that. And his mo of kind of being brooding and not really answering questions, and you know, giving cliched answers and one-word answers, it's not going to fly in Philadelphia if he's not performing well. Right now, they love him. He's setting Jersey records. You know, ticket sales are through the roof. All that stuff. But if he starts off slow, if his April or you know, late March, early April all the way into April, almost into May, is slow. I think they're going to have buyer's remorse in Philadelphia, and it's he's going to have remorse uh, for signing there. But I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it's possible. That's all I've got on Bryce Harper for this week. Again, uh, if I'm at the game April 2nd, I will applaud him when he first steps to the plate. And then from then on out, he's, he's a Philly. And we'll move on with who we got. I love Juan Soto, and I love the rest of the team. I love the team Rizzo put together. I think they've got just as good a chance. And uh, when we get to the Nats Relievers, which we're coming up on now, I think if they add Craig Kimbrell, they become the clear favorite in the National League East and potentially in the entire National League. All right, so before we go into the Nats Relievers, a quick reminder, we are affiliated with the DMV dmvsportsnetwork.com. Be sure to check them out, dmvsportsnetwork.com. You can follow them on Twitter at dmv underscore sn. They release a bunch of podcasts, written material about DC sports. Give them a follow. Give them a listen. Check out their website. We've got a tab up on their website with a bunch of our information. They blast our stuff. We blast theirs. Please give them a follow. and uh, Also, Subscribe to our podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter. It's about time, DC1, ITS, about time, DC1. Let us know what you think about the podcast. If there's something that you'd like us to discuss, let me know. I'd be happy to bring it up and uh, talk about it. Um, We love hearing from you guys. And, again, we are always grateful that you guys listen. And I hope we are having as much fun with this as we are. I don't know if that's possible. I really enjoy doing this. So, anyway, let's go to the NAS relievers. Uh, I'm going to start with the Craig Campbell thing because I think it's the most interesting thing and it's quite possible that by the end of this week there will be some resolution. Uh, the Craig Campbell thing to me, not just with the Nats, but in general, is it's utterly fascinating. He's going into his age 31 season. He'll be 31 in, at the end of May. And for all intents and purposes, he is a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the best closers in the history of the game. Last year, 274 ERA, 42 saves and 45 opportunities. But the reason I think he's still sitting on the shelf is because he had a really dreadful second half and a not so good postseason. And some people think that he may have lost a step. For comparison, in 2017, which was arguably one of his best years. He had a 1.43 ERA in 69 innings, had 126 strikeouts in 69 innings. Uh, Last year, his ERA went up a full, almost a run and a half. He was at 274 and only 96 strikeouts, so 30 less in seven less innings. But he's still in his prime. He still has his stuff, you know, high 90s fastball, wipeout slider. Could he help the Nats? Oh, absolutely he could help the Nats. Absolutely. Especially in a bullpen where he is not going to be required to be leaned on so heavily. He's a one-inning guy. He's not going to give you more than an inning. Absolutely he could help the Nats. The question is how much money does he want? The rumors going into the offseason is he was looking for a six-year deal close to a hundred million dollars. The other question is the Nats are around four and a half million under the luxury tax currently. The learners have repeatedly said they will not go above. If the Nats exceed the luxury tax this year, it'll be the third season in a row in which they've done that, which means they'll have to pay fifty percent of fifty percent tax on the overage. So if they are let's say hypothetically they give Kimbrel a fifteen million dollar a year deal, they'll be eleven million over the cap, which means they'll owe a tax. Around five and a half million this year. But that also sets them up to be over the tax for the next several years, something that the learners don't want to do. Mike Rizzo doesn't want to do. Could they make it work? Certainly. I mean, they could restructure. We've talked about this when we, you know, about a month ago when we were talking about buying low on Bryce Harper when there didn't seem to be that many options for him. They could restructure Zimmerman's contract to make room. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Zimmerman's got an $18 million number this year. If you reduce that to, I don't know, eight or nine million this year, you know, you break it down, let's say, to, you know, a two or three year deal for Zim, uh, add a little bit more money for him, I think he'd be willing to do it to help the team, but also to extend his career with Washington. The real question is would Kimbrell now take something in the neighborhood of four for fifty five or four for sixty? So somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to $15 million dollars a year. Is he worth that is the other question. Because the, the fact that a guy like this, we're, what, week three of spring training, they're playing games already, that he's still on the be, on the sidelines is remarkable to me that this guy's available. Uh, would he take four for 60? Is he worth four for 60? That's a question for Mike Rizzo. Uh, I think four for 55, four for 60 is probably pretty reasonable. Uh, just as a comparison, he there is no comparable reliever to Zach, or I'm sorry, to Craig Kimbrel that was on the market this year. Craig Kimbrel was head and shoulders the best reliever on the market, but the closest one, in my opinion, in age and in past performance, was Zach Britton. Zach Britton last year, 3-1-0 ERA in forty one games. He was you know traded to the Yankees. Uh, didn't really start the season with Baltimore well. Um, but in his career, he has been a shutdown at one point, 2016, he finished fourth in Cy Young voting. That was the year he had a 0.54 ERA. That was in the middle of a f- four-year stretch where he had a sub three ERA. Uh, he got three for 39, so 13 million a year. So 15 million a year is not really out of the question. 14 to 15 for Craig Kimbrell, you give him an additional year. So I think four for 60, you could probably lock him down until he's almost, uh, or he's at 35. The question is, what does this mean for Sean Doolittle, who right now is your closer, he's your closer for the next two years, and is considered to be one of the best arms in baseball? MLB Network had him rated the second best relief pitcher in all of baseball right now. What does it mean for Doolittle? That's up to Davy Martinez and Derek Lilliquist. Personally, I think you got to let Craig Kimbrell close? I think you have to. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, again, one of the best closers in Major League history. So I think you use Doolittle like a weapon. You bring him in in high leverage situations, kind of like an Andrew Miller, um, a Josh Hader. I think you utilize uh, Doolittle in that way. Now, Doolittle may not be happy about it. Closers make the most money. But I also think that that philosophy is changing because of the Andrew Millers and the Josh Haters, and because of what the Yankees are doing with their bullpen, where they have so many good arms. I mean, Zach Britton's not their closer, and he got $13 million a year. So, the real comparison that people bring been bringing up is the Drew Storen and Raphael Soriano situation. I wouldn't compare this to this. I don't think that Doolittle is Storen, and Soriano is certainly not Craig Kimbrell. Uh, this is a completely different situation, and in my opinion... You have to at least consider it if you're the Nationals because Philadelphia and Atlanta are the other two teams that are rumored to be in on Craig Kimbrell, and he could be, right now, the piece that puts a team over the other two, in my opinion. If the Nats get him, I think that they are the clear-cut favorites to win the National League East. they got to fit him under the salary structure, figure that whole thing out, maybe... You know, he has a low number this year so that they can reset. I mean, there there are multiple things that they can do. Um I think it's hard though when you have an arm like this available and he's available now where you're really not competing against that many people contract wise, it's hard not to give him a look, and it sounds like the Nationals are kicking the tires. That it's some people reported it's further along than some than most people thought. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in a Nationals uniform, and I would expect Sean Doolittle to handle it. In a very professional way, uh, Doolittle, again, under team control for two more years, he's not going anywhere, and I like the idea of using Doolittle as a, as a weapon, you know, to come in in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, high leverage situations, you still have Kyle Bearclaw, still have Trevor Rosenthal, that would form to be, if not the best, one of the best bullpens in the entire National League, if not the entire, in an, if not all of baseball. So, Kibble fits. It's a question of whether or not um, financially he fits. So, let's get to breaking down the Nats bullpen. Nats bullpen has always kind of been an interesting piece for them. It's uh, two years ago. It was god-awful under Dusty Baker. Uh, It cost them a lot of games in the early in the season that Mike Rizzo worked his magic. He went out and he got Brandon Kinsler And he traded for Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen. And all of a sudden... You had a back end of the bullpen that people could envy. The law firm of Kinsler, Madsen, and Doolittle. They brought that trio into the season last year. People felt really good about the bullpen. Didn't work out as well. Sean Doolittle was the exception to that. Sean Doolittle had a phenomenal season, a 1.60 ERA. He was limited to 43 games because of a foot injury. Uh, 45 innings pitched, had 25 saves. He has been really good the last two seasons for the Nationals. He had a 2-4 ERA for the Nats in 30 games in 2017 and a 1-6 ERA last year in 2018. Always a high strikeout guy. at 60 Ks in 45 innings last year. And he's really a one-pitch guy. He throws a fastball. FP likes to say he throws four different fastballs because he throws them in four different quadrants. But he's really a one-pitch guy. Kind of like, I mean, I'm not comparing Doolittle to Mariano Rivera, but Mariano Rivera was really a one-pitch guy. He was the cutter, the cutter, the cutter. It really appears that Major League hitters have a hard time picking up Doolittle's fastball. Uh, Really, I really like this guy. I mean, it's, you know, easy to say that. And he's also at a very reasonable salary number. Uh, He's due $6 million this year, and there's a $6.5 million team option in 2020 that you have to expect. Um, You have to expect the Nationals will pick up. Um, One interesting tidbit about his team option is if he finishes 100 games between 18 and 19, then the option becomes mutual. He's not really going to have a chance to do that because he got hurt last year. Uh, But if he has a phenomenal season, then he will have a chance to do that. But always, always love Sean Doolittle. I love his character. And, uh, you know, I look forward to watching him close out games unless they bring Kimbrell back and then I think or bring Kimbrell in. And then I think you use him as a weapon out of the bullpen. Trevor Rosenthal, who sat out all of last season with Tommy John surgery, is uh, brought in. He's on a one-year deal. He, uh, last time he, well, I should say his career ERA is 2.99, 121 career saves. Uh, was with St. Louis for six seasons. Guy's a fireballer. There's 100 miles an hour. They say that his arm looks great. It sounds like he's setting up to be the 8th inning guy behind Doolittle. Um, really high ceiling on him. A former closer. He's only 28. will be 29 in May. Uh, really high ceiling on him. I think it was a great deal for the Nats. They're going to get the most out of him in a one-year. I think it was like an 8 or $9 million deal. Um, as long as his arm holds up. and I, They say he looks great in camp, so there's no reason to think that he won't. Nats made a trade uh, really just for international slot money. Uh, for Kyle Baraclaw from Miami. Baraclaw's got great stuff. Young guy, you know, 28, will be 29 in May. And he had a bit of a rough season last year in Miami, but then again, it's hard to have a great season when your team is as bad as Miami was last year at a 4.20 ERA in 61 games. But the three previous seasons, 259, 285, 30 ERA, The guy's got really lightning stuff. Had 113 strikeouts in 2016 in 72 innings. Um, Always a big K guy. I still look at him as high upside. Nats have three years of control on him. He's slotting in to be kind of the seventh inning guy. The big three for the Nats is going to be Bearclaw, Rosenthal, and Doolittle. Uh, I like what they have with him. I think it was a nice trade for the Nats. And uh, Money-wise, his arbitration number this year is 1.725. Or I should say his salary number is 1.725. He'll be arbitration eligible next year. Um, It was a nice pickup for the Nats. A big arm in the seventh inning. He'll probably be pitching in some high leverage situations at some point this season. And I think coming to a winning ball club will certainly benefit him. One guy we saw last year, really the beginning of his uh, career last year with the Nationals, was Wander Suero. He pitched in 40 games. And uh, finished 11 games for the Nats last year at a 3.59 ERA in 47 and two thirds innings pitched. In 47 innings, he had 47 strikeouts. Um, young guy, 27 years old. Only really, what, that one year of experience from the Dominican Republic. A guy who could make a in- big impact this year. We talked about the cutter with Mariano Rivera. This guy's got a cutter, right handed cutter, and a left handed uh, batters. Uh, I think he's going to be a big contributor, kind of a 6th, 7th inning swing guy for them. Uh, he showed that he could pitch multiple innings last year. I uh, I look forward to seeing him grow this year. Uh, Josh has made comments to me in the past that the Nats kill a lot of bullpen arms. You look at formerly Felipe Rivero, who's now in, um, in Pittsburgh. You look at Blake Tronan, who's now in Oakland. Um, I said, yeah, but you could also look at, you know, uh, Tyler Krippert had his best years in Washington. Craig Stammen had his best years in Washington. Um, You know, Ali Perez had good years while he was here. Zach Duke had good years while he was here as a reliever. Uh, So I I don't think it's – I think you really – you think about Drew Storen, who really had a collapse after being a a high draft pick and being a guy that was closing a lot of games out. You look at that kind of stuff. But I like what Wander Suero has to bring – I think that he has the chance to make a big impact on his team. Again, 6th, 7th inning swing guy. And then there's Sammy Solis, who is a common name for the Nationals. He's been with the ball club for four seasons, a big club for four seasons. Last year in 56 games, really had a bad season. last two seasons have really been poor for him. He had a 5'8 ERA in 2017, 6'4 run in 2018. Um, this is probably his last chance with the Nationals. He's going to be 30 years old this year. Or he is, I should say, 30 years old this year. Um, it's his last chance with the Nats. I mean, when he's, when he's right, he's a, he's a, uh, weapon as a left-handed arm out of the bullpen. Uh, I think he's on the bubble of making the, the, uh, opening day roster. I really do. Uh, the other lefty out of the bullpen, Matt Grace, a guy who has really come into his own last year at a two, eight, seven ERA. He uh, pitched in 56 games, 59 and two thirds innings pitched. He's a guy that you can use in multiple situations. He can be a situational left-handed pitcher. He can pitch a couple of innings. He can even start a game. He has started a game in the past on uh, you know, kind of an emergency situation. He's a guy I really um I really like, and he's gonna be probably outside of Sean Doolittle, of course, your primary left-hander out of the bullpen. And then a couple of names that were new to us last year, aside from Wander Suero, there's Justin Miller who really burst on the scene for the Nats last year. Had a three six one ERA. He kind of faded at the end of the season in 52 innings pitch. He was really used heavily once they called him up. Um, has previously pitched in Detroit and Colorado. Uh, they said this week he had a little bit of back tightness. He got a shot this week. Um, they're saying he's not really expected to be ready for opening day against the Mets. But he's an arm that Davey said if he's healthy, he's going to be on the roster uh, and again, middle of the season last season, he pitched some big innings for the Nats and was lights out. I think we'll see him plenty this year as, again, a 6th, 7th inning guy, uh, potentially 8th inning guy on nights where Rosenthal needs a night off. And then there's Jimmy Cordero, the fireballing right-hander, 27 years old, also from the Dominican Republic, uh, made his first appearance with the Nationals last year in 22 games at a 5'6 Um 19 innings pitched he had 12 walks so he's got some control issues i don't think he makes the roster out of opening day or for opening day but i think that there's a better chance than not that we will see him at some point this season um but again big arm and then you really got to talk about the final big arm that we'll talk about the final arm in the bullpen is taylor rainey and he's the guy that they got for uh for uh, Tanner Roark. Um, I'm sorry, it's Tanner Rainey, not Taylor Rainey. Um, he's the the arm that they got for Tanner Roark. And uh, big arm from Cincinnati, throws over 100 miles an hour. Um, really uh, young guy, 26 years old. He... Appeared last year in, for Cincinnati in eight games. Had a 24.43 ERA in seven innings pitched. Uh, 19 earned runs in seven innings pitched. So not a, not a great uh, start to his career. But big arm. They've been saying a lot. He was a second-round pick in 2015 by the Reds. They've been saying a lot of big things about him in, in camp. I think we'll also he'll be another arm that we see down the road. Uh, when you throw over 100 miles an hour, you're going to get a chance to pitch in the major leagues. So for the Nats, I mean, that's what you're looking at. You really got a heavy back end of the bullpen. Bear call Rosenthal, Doolittle. Uh, I like the guys in the middle. Matt Grace, Justin Miller, Wander Suero. Coda Glover is a guy I did not mention, mainly because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and he's injured again. So I, I'm not going to talk about him until uh, he's ready to pitch. Um, Aaron Barrett is a great story. I mean, the guy... Injured his arm, and then while he was rehabbing, while throwing, basically broke his arm in half. Rehab it again. hasn't pitched in the majors in several years. He is back in Nats camp. It's a great story. I don't think he makes the roster on opening day. I think that he's still got some recovering to go. If he if he even makes it back to the big club with the Nationals, um, you have Austin Voth, guys like that. But you look at it heavy back end of the bullpen, nice middle relief. They got to find maybe one or two more arms, and again, the wild card: Do they bring Kimbrell in? He can make a huge difference to this bullpen, make this bullpen very, very long, especially in a postseason series. Uh, I like their bullpen. I don't. I wouldn't say I love it. I like it, especially in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Um, they're really counting on Barreclaw to take a step forward, uh, Rosenthal to return to the stuff that he had pre-Tommy John and you want Doolittle to stay healthy. He has had shoulder problems in the past. There's a chance for this to go off the rails, but there's also a chance for this bullpen to be very, very good. Uh, and only time will tell. If they get out of camp healthy, I'll be happy, and then we'll see what happens from there. That's all I got about the Nats tonight. You know, we talked about Bryce Harper. I've been going for 40-plus 40, 40 plus minutes. About Bryce Harper, the Nats relievers. Uh, we've covered the entire Nats team. Starting next week, I'm going to go into... What I think's going to happen this year, you know, with players, with the team, how the team's going to shake out in the division, all that good stuff, and hopefully a week from now we'll have a better picture of who's who's signed I mean, maybe with Craig Kimball I mean, if you look at it, one thing that I find incredibly interesting I just did a quick look on baseball reference. Adam Jones is still a free agent, Evan Gaddis from Houston still a free agent um. Carlos Gonzalez from Colorado, still a free agent. Colby Rasmus, Logan Morrison, free agents. Mark Reynolds, by the way, former Nat, still a free agent. Brandon Phillips, longtime second baseman with Cincinnati, free agent. And then you look at the free agent pitchers. Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell, Ryan Madsen. Um, it's a lot of names that are still available. I don't want the Nats to bring back Ryan Madsen. I still have a bad taste in my mouth after that. Grand Slam against the Cubs, uh, not telling people that he was hurt, that kind of stuff. But it's just it's a it's an interesting situation. A lot of names out there. Uh, the fact that Kimbrell's still out there to me is really mind-boggling. All right, so let's go into the Redskins real quick. We'll wrap up with the Redskins. Two big rumors this week. One, there's a rumor that the Redskins are interested in Josh Rosen arizona cardinals starting quarterback number 10 overall pick in last year's draft um and there's also rumors that arizona is looking to move him first question to ask josh actually asked this question when we were talking via text message today he said aren't there any red flags doesn't it give you red flags that they're willing to dump him after one year the answer to that is yes and no uh more towards no because they have a new head coach and he's just he a apparently is a big fan of Kyler Murray. They have you know what do they have? I think they have the top pick in the draft, so they can do just about anything that they want uh, at quarterback. And if they can get good enough compensation for Josh Rosen and start over, why not? Rosen's numbers last year were not overwhelming, but they weren't terrible. Had a fifty-two point two percent completion percentage, threw for almost twenty-three hundred yards, eleven touchdowns, fourteen picks. And this was in 13 games started. Uh, Arizona's one of the worst, if not the worst team in football last year. They they had very little offense. Uh, As a result of how poorly they performed, Steve Wilkes was out after one year. Um, But again, highly tied a quarterback coming out of UCLA. And Jay has had good luck with quarterbacks. I think Jay could work with Josh Rosen. The question is, what do you trade for him? There are rumors today that the Redskins are considering trading their first-round pick and another draft pick for him. That is outrageous. That is outrageous. If you're going to trade your first-round pick for Josh Rosen, you might as well keep your first-round pick and hope a quarterback falls to you. That is a joke. If they trade their first-round pick for Josh Rosen, it is a terrible football move. It's also a PR nightmare. People will go nuts. They will go absolutely nuts giving up the 15th overall pick for Josh Rosen. People would go nuts. If they can trade him for, or get him for, I think a second and maybe a fourth next year, okay, Josh said nothing more than a third round pick this year, sure, okay, use the comp pick that you're getting from Kirk Cousins, I'm fine with that too, I don't think Arizona will take a third round pick, unless they're really that ready to move on because they're going to draft somebody else, um, interesting place that they're in, to the draft of first, a quarterback in the first round back-to-back seasons. Uh, that's why they're probably going to be looking for higher compensation. But I think Jay could work with him. And I think that um, the prospect for the Redskins going into the season with Josh Rosen, who is going to be a second-year quarterback, he's only 22 years old, you feel like you might have a chance to you know, have a franchise quarterback or at least somebody that's got a chance to be a franchise quarterback. It's certainly better on the field, most likely, than Colt McCoy. And it's better... PR-wise, marketing-wise for the Redskins, then Colt McCoy off the field. Um, is it the right move? It depends on what the Redskins are planning on doing. Um, there's a philosophy out there, and you can't outwardly advertise this, but there's a philosophy out there that you should tank for the next two seasons and go after Trevor Lawrence. I I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, I'm willing to... I mean, we've sat through 20-plus years of mediocrity to even really bad football. I'm willing to sit through two more of it to get a generational player like Trevor Lawrence. You're not guaranteed to get him, though, unless you get the number. you got to pretty much lose 16 games next season in 2020 to guarantee that you get him. Um, And if you're going to do that, if that's your long-term plan, you're not going to publicize it. You should build up the rest of your roster so that when Trevor Lawrence comes in, it's a turnkey operation, and it's a playoff team with Trevor Lawrence. That's a really long game, though. But in my opinion, if you're going to try to compete this year, and that's a big if, but if you're going to try to compete this year, Rosen's one of your better options. It's either Rosen, Teddy Bridgewater, or drafting a quarterback in the first round. I do not like the idea of trading up to draft a quarterback. I don't think that any of these quarterbacks are worth multiple picks for uh so if you it there's so many moving parts if you can get Rosen for a reasonable price I'm fine with it I think that he's just as good as any quarterback in the top half of the draft but I would not trade the number 15 pick at first I thought a number two the number two pick the second uh, round pick for the skins uh I still think that that's reasonable a second round pick and then maybe a fourth next year uh that would be uh, palatable for me To bring in a guy like this who was highly touted last year. He's got all the confidence in the world. Um, So we'll see what happens there. The second rumor going around is that the Redskins are one of two or three teams interested in Antonio Brown. That, to me, sounds like a train wreck waiting to happen. Antonio Brown will be 31 uh, when the season starts. Had another big year last year. 104 receptions, 1300 yards, 15 touchdowns. I saw a stat today. I couldn't find it again. But his numbers when Ben Roethlisberger's not throwing to him are terrible. I wish I could have found those stats again. But uh, he's had Ben throwing to him his entire career, and he's really kind of mucking around things in on his way out. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if he's like if he's having like issues like at home or, or what. I don't know what he's doing. Um, I know that the rest of his contract is not fully guaranteed, and that's what he's angling for is more guaranteed money. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers in 2017, so two years ago, signed him to a four-year, $68 million contract extension, but again, um, that money was not fully guaranteed. He's looking to get traded to a team and then have them give him more guaranteed money. He's 31, how many great years does he have left? Maybe two or three. But we don't have a quarterback to throw in the ball. Even with Josh Rosen, is he going to want to catch passes from Josh Rosen? Coming from uh, future Hall of Famer Ben Roethlisberger, I don't know. I don't know. But that the question is: Is it a good football move? I don't think it is. I don't think it's good for the locker room. I don't because of what's been going on. The last, I don't know, six to nine months with him in Pittsburgh, I don't think it's good for the locker room, and I'm not really sure that this, the Skins are not one or two players away from being a Super Bowl contender. A team that's a Super Bowl contender should be interested in Antonio Brown, a team really like the Pittsburgh, or I'm sorry, like the New England Patriots, who could absorb a personality like that, like they did with Randy Moss and Corey Dillon and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I think it's a terrible move for the Redskins. I really do, but is it a move that Dan Snyder makes to catch headlines and try to sell tickets? Absolutely. And a question I saw posed on Twitter today might have been posed by Kevin Sheehan. Is Dan Snyder tired of these mediocre off seasons? Is he ready to win an off season again? I think he is. I think he's ready to make a splash. They don't have a ton of money under the cap. I think it's somewhere around like $25, dollars thirty million dollars. They don't have a ton of money, but the Redskins have always been super creative using the, the salary cap. Wouldn't surprise me if they made a couple of big splashes. Josh Rosen might be the first shooter to drop. Uh, Antonio Brown might be another one. Uh, but this team is not an offseason away from being competitive. At least, I don't think so. And Snyder might be delusional enough to think that they are, but I don't even think bringing Antonio Brown in will sell the amount of tickets that he thinks it will, I don't think it's going to have the impact that it might have had bringing in a player of his caliber 10 years ago. I just don't think that it's going to have that. So I wouldn't rule the Redskins out. I think Dan Snyder has got more influence now than he's had in the last several years, and he's got an itchy trigger finger. But I wouldn't go get Antonio Brown if I was Dan Snyder. Last person I want to talk about, and this is actually somebody that Josh brought to my attention, a guy that really um, stole the headlines at the Combine because he was lighting up receivers with 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And, uh, actually, apparently Steve Smith, walked, uh, Steve, former wide receiver for Baltimore and Carolina, walked off the NFL Network set and walked up and talked to him and said, you got to stop throwing the ball so hard you're making these receivers look bad, and they're trying to sh- you know, show themselves too. This guy named Tyree Jackson from Buffalo. University of Buffalo. Uh, he's six foot seven, two hundred and forty five pounds. I mean, the guy is a monster, and apparently ran a lightning fast forty. He is a three year starter uh, with Buffalo. Last season was by far his best, which was his junior year. He uh, started in fourteen games, had a fifty five point three percent completion percentage, thirty one hundred yards, twenty eight touchdowns, and twelve interceptions. Uh, and Buffalo ended up playing in the uh, Dollar General Bowl. They lost to Troy, <laughs> 42-32. to um, But they did go 10-4 and last year in the MAC, and um, it's an interesting idea, a guy like this who's apparently incredibly raw, but physically gifted, and they say that he is like the polar opposite of Kyler Murray because Murray's 5'10", but he's mobile, This guy, 6'7", mobile, but also cannon for an arm. Uh, He's a project. He's a guy you could probably get third, fourth round. If you're really, you know, going to ride with Colt, this might be a guy you want to have as his backup that can learn Jay's system, even though who knows how long Jay's going to be here. But he's a guy that you could, you know, he's a really raw piece but I like what Jay does with quarterbacks, so it's a name to look out for. Um, Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo, the Buffalo Bulls. Um, I'd never heard of him to be honest, um, but be interesting to see if the skin if he's on the skins radar in the third, fourth round, kind of the middle rounds. Be interesting to see if after his showing at the combine, if he jumps up maybe even in the second round for a desperate team. Uh, I hope that desperate team isn't the skins. Um, We'll talk more about the Redskins next week. We'll talk about what they should do with the number one pick. Uh, should they go offense? Should they go wide receiver? Because uh, obviously the Josh Doxson thing did not work out for them or has not worked out yet. Do you go wide receiver? Do you go offensive line? Do you keep stacking up the defense? Um, do you go quarterback? If quarterback is available, do you trade up for a quarterback? A lot of opportunities for the Redskins. But again, as I stated earlier in this podcast, I don't think that they're a Player or two away, I don't even think they're an offseason away from being competitive, even in the NFC East. Uh, they need to just start building the team for two, three years from now. They need to start building depth. They need to start getting faster. They need to start getting more talented at every position. And uh, yeah, I think that's what they need to do. And then, you know, once the Alex Smith cap hits come off, then you can be more aggressive in free agency, but I think that's a, that's how you build your team if you're the Redskins. We'll talk more about that next week, especially as the NFL draft gets closer. That's all I've got for today. I appreciate you guys listening. Again, we are affiliated with the DMVsportsnetwork.com. That's DMVsportsnetwork.com. You can follow them on Twitter at @dmv_sn. You can follow us on Twitter it's about time DC1. That's ITS about time. DC one, give us a follow, subscribe to our podcast, rate us, let us know what you think. You know, shoot us a DM. Always happy to hear from you guys. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we really have fun doing this, and uh, we hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Until next week, guys. Have a good one.